Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. This morning we're reading Genesis 5, 1-5 through 5, and 6, 1-8. through 8. You can follow along on the screens. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We, we were traveling, my family and I were traveling at Thanksgiving, this had happened before, this is the first time I think I recall getting pulled into it, but we would spend the night on the way to visit some family, and uh, we're in a hotel style room, you know, Airbnb or something, but all the beds are in one room, so we're all, it had been a full day, we're settling down for the night, the kids are, one of the kids is kind of restless and having trouble falling asleep, and, and my wife Jess is like, hey, why don't you, Matt, why don't you read the Bible, and uh, I was like, okay, she's like, the genealogy, just pick a genealogy, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm not sure, like, if I should be okay with that as a pastor. I don't know what this says about sort of, uh, I hope that our other interactions with Scripture or maybe uh, communicate that it's more than a sleep aid. But uh, maybe you, like, have that ex- experience. So the first few verses that Emily read for us this morning are the beginning of a, of a genealogy, right? Like, we, we would read some, like so-and-so, but God, so-and-so, but God, so-and-so, the son of, the son of, the son of. But in this case, in Genesis chapter 5, uh, it's a marker in the, in the, in the book, and this refrain is repeated at different stages. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, and he made him in the likeness of God, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them mankind. And when they were created, uh, and then Adam had lived 130 years, and he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. This is the book of generations. This is an account. He'll go on. We didn't read it, but he'll go on to give a sort of genealogical record of the line of Seth. Right? So this is the lineage of a father, Adam. We, ha- we have just come out of a moment in the story in Genesis where one, one of Adam's sons, Cain, had gone terribly sideways. Right, Cain murdering his brother, Abel. We've seen the disaster that has fallen to that line, that, that lineage. And so now in this moment, it's, it's, a, it's a slightly hopeful word. The story will go on. Right, Life will, will, will go on. Uh, the, the promise that... Adam had heard in the garden when, 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 
he had reached to sort of define his own goodness apart from any relationship with God. In that broken moment, given a promise that God would send uh, an, an ancestor, a seed, through whom he would unravel the damaging effects of sin. That promise is picked up here, right? It's echoed in this moment. The story will uh, continue. It'll be taken up in the line of Seth, and so we get his genealogy. Seth, of whom Eve, his mother, would say he is appointed by God, appointed, an offspring who will replace Abel, for Cain has killed him, a genealogy. And maybe like me, you read a passage like this, you read things like, for the days of Adam, the days of Adam, he fathered Seth. Uh, the, the, the days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, riveting, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he, yeah, you guys are like, is he really going to read all of them? I think, I think we, we read a genealogy like this, and if we're children, maybe, maybe we fall asleep. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, but I think uh, probably one sort of reaction, which is understandable, the thing that startles us in the passage is the lifespans, right? And that raises all sorts of questions perhaps for you. you. You read lifespans like this, and it's, it's startling, and, and God will speak to that in a, in a few uh, moments. But I want to suggest to you that uh, the truly startling thing here is a different sort of refrain, right? That what, what should strike you and me as we hear this story is the rhythm. It's like a, it's like a cascading sort of the trickle of a brook, right? Just It's repeated over and over again, and he died. And he died, and he died, and he died. Right? O over and over, the rhythm, just this is the story. The, the lifespan, sure, they live, life goes on and on and on, and he died, and, and he died. With, with, with no interruption, with very few in interruptions, right? We get one interruption, so you can feel it. You're listening, you're hearing. He lived, he lived, and he died. He lived, he fathered, he lived, and he died. He lived, and he died. And then you get this beautiful interruption around verse 24. You get the story of Enoch. You're expecting he lived, he lived, he lived, and he died. And what you get with Enoch is he walked with God. He was not, for God took him. It's a beautiful interruption. New Testament writers will revisit this guy's story. It's a mystery for another day. Uh, perhaps we could spend some time here. But it is a bit of, just again, as you hear it, it's an interruption. Life is going, going, going. He lived, he died, he lived, he died. But then in this moment, God uh, moving in the life of Enoch in a, a uniquely beautiful and, and powerful way. But then the story resumes. He died, he died, he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Happy Easter, right? <laughs> like, uh, and, and he died. I know today's not Easter, but, but uh, yeah. There's, there's one other interruption in the story, and it's at, at the end. So this is the rhythm of father's lineage, Adam and Seth. God is not giving up on humanity. He's going to, through Seth, he's going to achieve his promise to put things uh, right. And yet the stories, he lived and he died and he died and he died. Then you get Lamech, not 
Cain's ancestor, another by that name, verse 28, an interruption to the rhythm. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son. And then the, the rhythm changes. And he called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one will bring us relief from our work, from the painful toil of our hands. It's, I think it's a hopeful word. Right, it, it feels like at least Lamech is aware, like this is a callback to earlier language, just like the start of the genealogy, God created man in his image, it was good, it was beautiful, all of this language that takes us back to the beginning of the story, God has remembered that, and now through Adam has come Seth, even though we thought things had like jumped the shark, right now we have Seth, and, and now in this moment you can feel, does Lamech, he remembers those stories as well, and he calls to mind the language of that curse, well maybe in Noah, this promise there will be relief you hear the rhythm changes it tells us that Lamech died but then then it finishes differently and Noah was 500 years old Noah fathered Shem Ham and Japheth and and you think oh the story is changing right like this is this is new the rhythm and he died and he died and he died has been interrupted maybe maybe this will be different and then we read Chapter 6, verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with or abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days will be 120. The Nephilim giants were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. And when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown, and you're thinking, what is going on, right? You're like Noah, relief from work, and then you read this, and you're, it just, it, it, it's equally startling, right, for all kinds of reasons. We were at dinner uh, this week, and I forget what happened. I was coming in for some heat uh, about something. My kids were razzing me about something I don't remember. And uh, I forget what the joke was, but in that moment, uh, my kids in unison, and I wasn't prepared for this, uh, came out with a, oh, snap, right? Yes, I know. I was like, what? Who are you? Uh, I've known you for a while, and you've never uh, used this expression. And uh, so naturally, I was like, what, what, what was that? And they're like, oh, uh, I'm like, where did you, where did you get that? Where did that come from? They said, mom. <laughs> okay, right? Uh, the surprise continued. I said, well, wait a minute. What, what do you mean? I turned to their mother. What? What? And then they're like, yeah, when she was reading the Bible to us this morning. All right. <laughs> I know. And I, so maybe if that had been an isolated incident, but together with the genealogy sleepy thing, I'm a little like maybe we should have a family conversation. But they were like, no, she was reading. We were reading, you know, like uh, the, some of the stories in Kings that come after this, right? Violence and corruption and greed and power, Ahab and Jezebel, all these sort of crazy things, and whatever Jess had read in the moment, she was like, oh, snap, and the, the kids, that's what they heard, right, <laughs> like, when, I'm, when, I need, when I can't fall asleep, genealogy, and oh, snap. I think we, we read Genesis 1 through 6, and it feels like that. You're just like, oh, Genesis 6, 1 through 6, oh, snap, like, this is some crazy stuff, right? Sons of God, daughters of men, Nephilim, giants. I mean, like to quote Jim Halpert from The Office, really, you're like, what is going on, right? Like, what, what is happening here? 
And there's been lots of pages written about sort of the specifics. Just like the previous genealogy, we have questions about the length of life. And in this passage, we're like, sons of God, daughters of men, what, what is happening? We could spend a lot of time there in the history of the church and its sort of uh, understanding of these passages. Different sort of the schools of thought, maybe they were like angels kind of interacting with um, the, the daughters of men. Or was it like leaders, rulers of the, of the day? Or maybe it's a reference, the sons of God, to the descendants of Seth. But wherever you sort of fall, like in the history of the church, these are sort of modes or understandings of interpretation. The, 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 the place we land is the same. It's, it's meant to move you and me as readers to, to the place where we're like, oh, snap, right? Like things have once again just slid perilously sort of out of control. Whatever the particulars here, the, the notion we're meant to feel and hear, one is that the human race is like just we're terribly presumptuous. We're just busy about sort of grasping at the kind of divine power that is only God's. And we're terribly depraved, that left to our own devices, uh, we will pursue our own interests at the uh, pain, risk, and damage to others. There is presumption and there is depravity here. And I think sometimes we would read a, a story like this, and, and, and we, we can kind of leave it there. Like, this is something, oh, snap, from a galaxy far, far away, a time long, long ago, you know, this doesn't have maybe much relevance to my life. But then Genesis 6 gives us this nugget. Verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And I think once again, we're taken right back to the beginning of the story. We've come a long way from the opening pages. God saw that it was good. He created man and woman in creation. It's beautiful. It's good. It's an open, unashamed relationship with one another and with him. We've, we've come a long way from the Lord saw and it was good. Now he sees that every human heart, as Luther would say, is curved in upon itself. helpful for me here. Again, we've referenced her work, but Fleming Rutledge says of these chapters in Genesis, um, uh, that, 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 that from Genesis 4, where we pick up the story of Cain and we'll move along to Genesis 11, as we've read, we see the enslavement of human impulses chillingly described. That's the feeling we get from this section. And again, we think maybe, you know, giants, sons of God, that's Yes, way back. But then this, this indictment against the human heart, it, it lands a little closer to home. We're okay, like maybe out there, sure, back then, yes, but this description that the inclination of the human heart is bent towards evil, I don't know, this deserves a no snap in my opinion. <laughs> and maybe your reaction to that and mine at times can be like, is that true? I mean, this is a comprehensive statement from God on the condition of your heart and mind. Is it true? Do we believe it? And again, I wonder if sometimes, I wonder if sometimes we're okay with this assessment when we sort of look outward. 
right? I don't have to, I don't have to trot headlines in front of you. They're, they are all too readily available where the sort of violence of evil, the corruption of greed and power and its effects in our world are, are ever ready and present to you. And you're like, yes, I could see the inclination of the human heart, no doubt, bent towards evil. But when that phrase is, is turned on us in, in here, no one wants to believe that about themselves. Certainly not in a culture that says we can life hack our way to our best self or our most authentic self or ideal self or all those kinds of things, right? We, this, this, this indictment, we want to resist. And, and so as we sort of think about it for just a moment, I, I, I want to try to take maybe a, a back door into it to consider how perhaps it might implicate you and, and me this morning. I want to ask you the question, have you ever... Have you ever kept score? I don't mean on the pickleball court or your race time in a marathon, right? Or a road race or a 5K or whatever. I don't mean the golf scorecard. Have you ever kept score in any relationship in your life? Maybe a spouse, maybe a friend, maybe a coworker, maybe a sibling. You know what I'm talking about, that, that, that move to like the need to establish and justify your rightness, your goodness, the church would be your righteousness in relation to someone else. I would suggest to you that this indictment from God in, in Genesis 6, it, it points to that move in you and me. We saw hints of it with Cain, but it points to that move, that that move in you and me to keep score is the kernel, it's the seed from which um, the, 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 all the stuff we read about in Genesis 5 and 6 will, will, will bloom. That, that, that need to establish and justify our own goodness. It's that pull that uh, God warned Cain. It, it crouches at the door of your heart. This is the way you are inclined now to lean, to justify yourself at whoever's expense is nearby. I, I don't know. That, I think, brings it a little closer to home. And, and again, lest we think this is just some Old Testament stuff, Jesus will pick this move up in the Sermon on the Mount, that beautiful sermon that we celebrate, all these beautiful things like the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes, like all these beautiful things. In that moment, Jesus will say, murder, yes, but anger, the inclination of your heart is, is, is the source of this problem. Old Testament writers from Genesis to Jesus will point to this fact. The reality is, and we hear it here, we hear it with Jesus, we can keep score, yes, but we will always come up short. In seeking good apart from him, apart from God and relationship with him, we, we will, sure, sure, we'll be able to prop ourselves up, but it will be at someone else's expense. And this might get you some semblance of good for a while, Jesus says, but it is a far cry from the good creation that I intended. All of that to say we hear an indictment like every inclination of the heart was always and only evil, and we want to resist it, but I think the gospel says, oh, there's more of you here than you're comfortable admitting. A father's lineage, Adam, Seth, life is going, 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 it goes on, but sadly so does Sin, which brings us to this next moment in the story that a story so full of brokenness we discover it, 
it grieves God's heart. We move from a father's lineage, Adam, Seth, now to a father's grief, God the father's grief at, at the brokenness of this good creation. We read what is, I think, perhaps one of the most haunting and perhaps scary paragraphs. Scripture, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Verse 6. Verse six. One Old Testament scholar says of this verse, that it's almost like we just catch like a faint glimmer of, of the cross. That in this verse, already here at the beginning, we see God already suffering on account of the sinfulness of man. Already grieving that separation, that brokenness. I think it's important to note here that the response that the writer points up is grief. Um, anger will come, the wrath of God will come, but, but it's grief at what has been lost, that creation was good and we have marred and broken and fractured. It's grief at what has been lost. And out of that grief, we read the indictment of verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man, animals, creeping things, birds, heavens. I am sorry that I have made them brings you up short, right? It, it's prickly. It's, it's not a, a, you're not stitching that on a pillow, right? This isn't a, a screensaver for you. Do people do that? I don't know. Screensavers, are those still things? I don't know. Right? It, it raises all kinds of feelings, questions. Whatever we take away from this verse we can't leave thinking God is just some dispassionate, um, kind of removed accountant like Santa Claus, right? Like, right, naughty, 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 nice, 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 and he's just going down the list. That is not what's happening here. God is involved. He's close. He is grieved and, and, and broken at, at the, uh, from sorrow at the damage that sin has caused in his good creation, and so he has to respond and judgment. He has to put things right because if left unfettered and unchecked, it will continue to damage and wreak havoc to what is created to be good. I know it probably raises lots of questions and we don't have time to sort of wade too deeply into all of the things that perhaps it may bring to your mind in terms of what do we do with God's grace, but also his judgment here. But I'll, I'll make reference uh, just briefly to one uh, writer whom we've referenced before, and he was a Croatian, a, the, a the, theologian, a philosopher who, who grew up in the tensions uh, that he experienced in communist Yugoslavia, and when those broke down, the sort of ethnic uh, struggle and, and violence that happened in the, in the days following. And so out of that context, he wrote about what it means to believe in a God who uh, is about forgiveness and grace. What's it mean to hold up a God who is also just in a world that is violent while we celebrate that he is gracious. He's not going to answer all the questions, but I find him helpful as I sit with a story like this one. He says, in a world of violence, it did not be worthy of God not to wield the sword, not to respond in judgment. If God were not angry at injustice and deception, and if he did not make the final end to violence, then God would not be worthy of worship. 
And so in this moment, he speaks to uh, way back early history of the church, uh, prominent names who were also sort of taken aback by verses like this one. And I wanted to just say, well, well no, we, we can have a God who is only ever and always love, and he is love, but we want to separate that from his holiness and, and his justice in the world. And, and Miroslav Volf helps me see that, well, actually, it's, it's, it's all of it together that his love for his creation is what demands an intervention when he sees evil going unchecked and the damage it is wreaking in the world. Wolf <laughs> uh, says one other thing, that, and there's a couple of other examples, but I'll just reference one other one. He's like, it's interesting. He makes the observation that that's particularly in our Western context, in the safety of sort of suburban life here in the West, you know, it's easy for us to be like, well, yes, of course, it's just love. We don't need, like, judgment for, because we're in, insulated in some sense. But he, he makes the observation, he says, it's interesting that, that we, 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 we think talk of God's judgment against evil could be, you know, distasteful, irreverent. He says the flip side of that is that we, we don't think anything of entrusting that kind of judgment to human hands. And we've seen where that gets us. The we are persuaded, presumably, that it would be less dangerous for us to sort of decide what is fair than to trust in a God who always judges fairly. I know this doesn't answer all the questions around this passage, but what we feel when we read this bit of the story Life is going, 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 and eventually is gone. It is broken and sinful, damaging, and that move, we realize, grieves the heart of God to the point that he must intervene. That for the good of creation, he must step in and check that kind of evil and violence that cuts through every human heart, which brings us to where the story lands which to me is just as startling as, as the judgment we read against the earth, as, as uh, the, the, the disruption to the story, he died, he died, he died. It's just as startling as all of those things. Like we, we are despairing in darkness, right? We've just read that, that God is going to um, ha intervene in a way that is difficult to hear. And then out of nowhere, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I, I think it's meant to startle us. Right? We don't see that coming. Maybe there's a hint. Lamech's like, oh, maybe there's something in Noah. Right? I'm hopeful. But in the midst of all this darkness, we, we just, it's just dropped. It's like, oh, snap. Right? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I know it's a little poetic, but when I read it, I hear, I wonder, is it like when Noah looks into the face of God, in, in, in the eyes of God, Noah finds grace and trusts that in the midst of all that is going on, God will preserve. We'll look more at his life later. It's just a glimmer of hope. Next week, we'll pick up the thread. Noah is by no means perfect, and it's just as flawed as the rest of the people in the story, which makes this moment all the more remarkable that God in his grace kept the story going. I know it's just a hint and a glimmer, but I hope it's enough. We, we, uh, we've been watching The Mandalorian. Any, any Mandalorian fans in the house? A few of you, yeah. You know, like most, I think, of culture, we tend to wait. Uh, we, we normally wait for the whole thing to come out, and then we just watch it all at once, right? And, uh, but we didn't do that this season. We started, we just, we started too early. So 
we, we watched a few, and they're like, then we're in that rhythm of like waiting, right? And it's annoying, but uh, it's okay. Uh, we just read the genealogy in, in between and sort of like stay calm. <laughs> oh, man. So we sat down to watch uh, one of the recent episodes, and I am embarrassed to say we sat down, we started watching, and we watched for some time. And we're like, oh, wow, they're bringing back this character. I think she was a love interest. And, uh, well, this is crazy. I guess we're, like, jumping. And we were well into it before I realized we were, we were watching the wrong e- episode. Yeah. Yeah. It was embarrassing. Jess was gracious. But, uh, uh, you know, we, we, it took me a few tries. But eventually we, we got to the right one. And uh, I, I, I want to suggest to you, like, what do we do with stories like what we read today? Like, what is our, what is our response? Where is Jesus in it? How are we supposed to hear it? We could make a number of suggestions here, but I, I want to suggest to you that I think maybe one of the main reasons to make sure that you, you are in the right story, that you're in the right a- episode, if you will, that it's a reminder to us of, 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 of the story we are in, the story of God's good creation, that sin has broken and that sin runs through every human heart. And apart from the gracious intervention of God, we're done. The story remains ever and always, and he died, and he died, and he died. But thankfully, the gospel says to that, yet he lives. Another has has come. The answer to the hope that Lamech expressed about his son Noah, to the hope that Eve had for Seth, to the promise that God gave to the snake and the, 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 the promise that through Eve, God would raise one up who would, who would unravel all of this damage death after death after death and would bring life. One other reference as I close, and then we'll close with a song that helps me here, thinking about Jesus and this moment in Noah. Uh, the uh, author just describes it like this. like we, 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 Jesus is God's gift to people who are unworthy. We love that beautiful truth. But he says that truth comes, comes if, if you're going to receive that truth, you have to receive it with, 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 with the whole story. Again, finding, make, finding ourselves in the right story. That God is a righteous judge who does not wink at injustice or immorality. That God's law names all of us as sinners as unworthy as having fallen short, as people through whom the line of good and evil cuts through every human heart. All of us fallen short of God's righteousness. And, and then he, he writes, he says, it's scandalous, but he says eventually it's, it's, it's finally joyous because the same God who calls us what we really are and asks us to look honestly at who we are in stories like this. The, the same God who, 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 who identifies us for what we are without whitewashing it, without covering over the gravity of our rebellion and our lostness, our selfishness, that God in that moment gives us his own son to be redemption. He's benevolent. Yes, he's gracious. He looks with favor even on Noah but he does it at a cost to himself, a cost he himself will bear ultimately in Jesus. So what's the response to a story like this for you and me? Will you guys stand with me? We're going to finish with a song 
uh, hymn that will pull you into this story again, reminding you and me of our sinfulness, but also of God's gracious uh, response, the grieving God's gracious response to our brokenness. But what is your response or mine to this moment? I'll suggest just a couple of things. One, maybe you're here this morning and you resonate with the genealogy, right? You're like, yes, that's me. I'm like your kids. Well, you know, just it's a snooze fest. I, I don't know. M- maybe you resonate like this. Y- this is where y- you are. That feeling of the story is just going, 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 and he died, going, and he died, going, and he died. And you feel lost in that story. You feel unseen in that story. You're, you're just like there seems to be no care or preservation for you in your life and the monotony of that story. What do you hear this morning? You hear the same invitation we all hear to surrender to Jesus, the reminder that God has not forgotten you in the monotony of that story. He holds his creation and that includes you. You remember this morning, you're in a different story. Maybe you're here this morning. What's your response? Maybe that's not you. Maybe your response is you have been pricked in a sense, uh, aware perhaps of the inclinations of your heart. Maybe this morning you catch a glimpse or a hint of the brokenness that is attested in what the story we've read, but you perhaps this morning feel a little more aware of it than you are typically ready to admit. What is your response? It's the same, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus who takes that in himself Trust him. And and then finally, maybe you're here and you read a story like this. And maybe like God in this story, or like Lamech, you are grieved. Right? You're scrolling headline, you're doom scrolling, right? You're you're like, you just like, I don't need Genesis, I just watch the news and I'm there, right? It just feels broken and gone. Going, 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 gone. What's your response to this story? fear, anxiety, anger, circle the wagons. I don't know. I don't know what those express. Anyway, right? I, well, the invitation of the story is the same. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. It's God's creation. He holds it. Trust him and follow him. And that's the invitation to each of us this morning. I don't know where you are in that story, but we hope you will uh, respond. Maybe for the first time, maybe the first time in a long time, open your life uh, to trusting and following him. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.